Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine. And with me on this very hot summer day is... Uh, retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli, and I feel bad for everybody out there in the heat. Uh, I'm, I'm in the mid-Atlantic area where, yeah, we got to the low 80s today, and it hasn't been too terrible. Yeah, um, yesterday, I'm outside of Chicago, pushing 100, doing the same thing today. Um, the only small saving grace is um, we don't get the humidity uh, like some places do, so... Um, but it's still hot, hot, hot. I, I, I have uh, a lot of sympathy for the officers working in the, the Southwest. Uh, I know uh, Lafayette, Louisiana has seen over 100 degree temperatures for roughly 30 days in a row now. Um, and it's, it's, it's just torturous. So all, the, all those folks need to stay cool, stay hydrated, pay attention for heat injuries. Well, let's get started with our first story Uh, comes out of Pittsburgh, where um, an eviction attempt uh, turned into a massive shootout um, in that city. Um, Seven deputies uh, were sent to a residence uh, to uh, conduct an eviction, and um, it turned into a six-hour-long standoff where um the gun uh, gunman ended up dead uh thankfully there were no injuries there are minor injuries i believe um one of the law enforcement officers um suffered scrapes and cuts um trying to scramble for cover um during the initial firing but um no um to my knowledge no law enforcement uh, officers were shot or wounded um at least uh, somewhere between 2 to 3 uh police drones were shot down um by the individual um this Boy, this is another one of these cases where you're seeing these um, eviction attempts that where deputies are brought in um, to help with an eviction and ends up uh, turning into a, a gun battle. You know, and we I, I'd like to point out how important it is. The, the, the language that we use and, and we're as guilty of it as the next guy. And I'm not picking on you, but even what you just said, deputies were brought in to help with. Well. The way eviction laws work, um, you know, people pay their rent. They don't pay their rent. The landlord goes to court. The court then says, all right, Mr. Renter, you have this long to to pay your rent, get caught up on your rent, whatever. If not, then he has the right to evict you. Then the renter has to, the, the landlord has to go back to court to get the eviction notice. Then it gets served. Usually it gets served by deputies as officers of the court. Um, and then things can go sideways. Absolutely. In this case, yeah, uh, and I can't help but wonder if, you know, there there was this big moratorium on um, evictions and rent during COVID. And uh-huh. I, I imagine a lot of people got really used to not paying rent. And then all of a sudden they got to pay rent again. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. In this case, uh, you know, the tenant was an elderly gentleman. He was 63 years old. Um 
the deputies show up. And uh, as I understand it, they knew going in that it might be a problem. For whatever reason, they had been told it might be a volatile situation. Um, you know, they tried they tried to get in the door and shots get fired. And and the other thing about language is, as is, is reported, hundreds of rounds fired and a massive SWAT vehicle. And um, you know, some of these other things that I see. This this report, and we we run syndicated news, so everybody listening understands this report. If you look at the links, is based on a couple of Twitter feeds, and um, you really have to be careful about the terminology you see and what's coming out of Twitter. Uh, you know, at one point, this this Twitter user that they're citing says um, thousands or hundreds hundreds or I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at it of SWAT officers on the scene. Well, Pittsburgh's a big place, but I'd be willing to bet they don't have hundreds of SWAT officers, even if you include the Allegheny Sheriff's Office with it. Uh, so there's some obvious exaggeration going on, but that there was a lot of gunfire, hands down, absolutely. I'm glad that none of the deputies were hurt. Um, you know, if they're there for hours, they're doing everything they can to get this guy out without uh, causing him any harm. And there's nothing we can see or find as yet that says whether this gentleman uh, killed, took his own life, killed himself, or whether uh, in returning the fire, deputies or police officers uh, killed him or shot him and he died as a result. Um, I have to watch my own language because police officers don't go out looking to kill people. We, we shoot to stop threats. Sometimes it's a side, sad effect that they die, side effect, sad side effect that they die. Um, yeah, it, it's got to have sound pretty interesting in that little neighborhood in Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, um, before we started recording, you had, you had mentioned too, is that, um, you know, the way it was described here, it, it, it sounded like a, a war zone. I, there was video too, um, that, um, at some point, um, during the standoff, you can hear the gunshots being fired, um, just repeat, you know, it's not one, a pause or two, it's just repeated shots. And, you know, you don't know if that's an exchange of gunfire, if that's just one, it's just, that's just the gunman uh, firing um, or, or, or what have you. And in, in situations like that too, um, you know, where you're sitting around and, as a law enforcement officer and waiting, and then you hear these intermittent gunshots if, if the gunman is taking down a, a drone, you know, um, you know, what's got to be going through your your head as far as as is as, as how things are escalating um, in that situation? Yeah, I mean, and you never know. But one one rule of, of all firefights, incoming lead has the right of way. <laughs> so, you know, cover is vital. Um, I, I, I one last pet peeve of mine, uh, the image we used captured from the YouTube video that somebody posted Fox 26 News live video. They taught they, their title, Active Shooter Situation in Pittsburgh, PA. Um, active shooters aren't one person inside of an apartment complex only shooting at people trying to get into their apartment. Active shooters are hunters, not defenders. This guy probably felt like he was defending himself and his apartment, uh, defending from the eviction. I'm not justifying or excusing what he did, but I take issue with this whole active shooter situation uh, that Fox 26 uses their title, another exaggeration to be sure. Well, and I think that's a um, kind of a, a good point may, uh, you make too, as far as 
the difference is that law enforcement has with a with a term like active shooter and what the public has and i'm sure in a lot of cases putting out active shooter is an alert to the public to say stay away from this area do not be congregating around it give it a wide distance yeah don't stand at your window looking across the street where the guy's shooting exactly Moving on to our next story. This is out of Kentucky, and this was um, just a, a, a harrowing um, a piece of body cam footage of um, police officers uh, rescuing a woman who had been kidnapped and chained to the floor um, by a man who uh, she shared a child with. Um, I, when I saw the video of this, um, you know, it goes through your head. Is it's having another human being treat a human being like this? And it just, um, it, it just, it's disturbing beyond all measures. Um, the uh, woman had been left in the house um, after she had been literally locked down, um, and luckily um, she was able to. Um, uh, break a window in the house and uh, begin yelling for help. And luckily, a neighbor heard, was able to call 911. And, um, you know, police were uh, brought to got to the scene and, and, and were able to free her. But, um, uh, you know, you've, Frank, you've been um, on that side as far as, as seeing the inhumanity toward man. Um, in cases like that is is what's that like as as an officer going into a situation like that you know i hate to use the word traumatic but it is traumatic i mean and, and we talk about inhumanity and, and we use all these nice professional comments um you know this this guy changed this woman around the neck and if you look at the body cam video it literally is a chain that's just mm -hmm. padlocked around her neck and you can see where the chain is snug in her flesh um it's just it this is evil this this isn't this isn't inhumane this is just evil that somebody can treat another human being like that and either think that it's okay or think that they can get away with it either one um is is just unacceptable uh the the, the worrisome thing to me and and i guess this would be uh, you know her fear had to be so high not only of the guy who kidnaps her and holds her captive and chains her locks her in his house then chains her to the floor but um it said that she had been in there uh, for several days, if I understood this article correctly. Um, and, and, you know, so she, she manages to break out a window and call for help. And, and that's a good thing. But he got arrested and she was still locked in the house. So you talk about, it's just, it's a bad situation all the way around. And encountering something like that, um, it's, it's part of that moral excrement that police officers get exposed to and just have to eat and, and, and then bury down, um, you know, and, and most of the rest of society doesn't have to deal with it or avoids it or feels traumatized by it. And, you know, it's, average cop's going to observe or be involved in 800 traumatic incidents in his career compared to the, the public's two in their life. Um, and then we're and then we're surprised that police officers have stress issues or suicide rates so high. This this is horrific. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's one thing um, 
reading about these types of crimes and then seeing um, the aftermath of it, uh, you know, seeing an officer go into uh, a home and, and have to rescue this woman um, brings a whole nother level to it that um, uh, should linger with you if you see it. Um, if, if it doesn't, um, you know, I feel I feel sorry for you. Um, but um, moving on to our next story, this is out of Los Angeles. Um, this is, um, you know, I don't want to come across as sort of the old guy against technology, um, but this is a case of the LAPD now is going to use artificial intelligence to examine body camera body camera videos um, to observe officer language, um, <clears throat> and this is part of a study. Uh, the intent is basically to get at best practices and to, I would imagine, down the line then. Uh, flag uh, cases where, you know, uh, language tone could be improved. Um, the thing that, about this when uh, um, when I was reading about the story is that um, in order for them to create, um, you know, this AI to to work, it's it it's have to be programmed. And these are subjective things, which uh, the people behind the study um recognize and say and that that always gets my you know has my spidey sense go off as far <laughs> as um when it, any kind of subjective biases and programming because um things that people sort of take uh for granted um <clears throat> their own like I said, their own biases kind of creep through into that and it can end up uh, sort of poisoning what could be an otherwise um, productive and beneficial program. I, I'm going to ask you this, Joe, and, yes. I, and I don't mean to make it personal, but I know mm -hmm. how I would answer this question. When you were a child, right, anytime before you were, say, 13 years old, did one of your parents ever say something to you, ask something of you or you, whatever, and you answered them without any intent of disrespect and they told you to watch your tone? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. So, Still happens now. <laughs> okay. I don't think. Well, yeah. Um, when AI and this is one of those things that it's right there in, in this, the summary of the article underneath the title, it says artificial intelligence will look at officers body camera footage to analyze word choice and tone. Now, one of our biggest challenges with any kind of online communication, texting, anything, if we're not face-to-face, -face, you and I aren't, we're in different states mm -hmm. right now, right? But we can hear inflection and we know what our normal tone is. And I can sound like I'm getting upset and you're gonna, you're gonna be able to identify that and vice versa. But we lose a lot without face-to-face -face communication. We lose... The, the ability to see and interpret facial uh, expression, body language, um, movement, closing distance or opening distance, all kinds of things. We, when a police officer stands there and he puts his hands, one hand on his gun because it's in the way, he wants to put it on his hip, but he, put, he ends up putting it on his gun or he puts his elbow on his gun and he doesn't do anything that's threatening or whatever. 
but we don't know how the public takes that. We don't know what the public sees, right? All of that is going to be lost on this artificial intelligence stuff. And, uh, you know, whoever, like you said, whoever's programming it, and I told you this before we started recording, I used to have a sergeant who got really mad at me if I used the word hell. Um, he never, ever cursed. He would not say damn. He would not say hell. Uh, and if any of us that were under his supervision did, he reamed us for it. I mean, this is unprofessional conduct and this is this. And if you, if I hear you use that language again, I'm going to write you up and blah, blah, blah. And then we go out on the street and we hear people who use all the worst kinds of language you can think. Sometimes it's just a colorful expletive and sometimes it's directed at you personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hope, and absolutely, you have to program this stuff, right? Poor program equals poor results. Um, I would hope that the program that is analyzing the officer's word choices and tone are also analyzing that of the people they're interacting with and then measuring the ratio. You know, if we're going to come out at the end of this and say the officer was rude 5% of the time or he was unprofessional 2% of the time, whatever, I don't want that to be the only data. I want to know how often he was he was unprofessional 2% of the time, but 32% of the time, the person he was interacting with was calling him names or was, you know, their body language was, you know, gestures were threatening or could be so. I mean, let's let's keep it in proportion. Let's not just target the officers. If we're going to gather this data, let's gather it holistically. And my my surmise, probably because I'm prejudiced after 40 years wearing a badge, is they'll find out the police officers aren't doing anything. Uh, I'm not going to say they're not doing anything unprofessional, but they're doing it in such small quantity that it is beyond excusable and most of the time justified. But that's just my surmise. Well, I, I think context is is crucial to this Absolutely. and and the whole idea. Um, I wonder I don't even know if there's a way to to even calculate this, but uh, what would be maybe behavior that is flagged as rude? What is what is kind of the end result of that interaction? Does it does it actually end in a positive way? And I'm not saying that like oh that should give carte blanche to uh, for an officer just to to be rude and crude or whatever but i i, I think it's just so hard to um to just blanket i'm i'm not i'm not a big all size all one size fits all type of type of person i i dislike that I, and um when you automate it it because you you don't have someone to to sort of talk to about that it's it's it becomes black and white when it when it isn't and let's, um be interesting to see how this goes let's say this if these officers are being rude and unprofessional and it's uncalled for sure somebody counsel them about that but if they're being rude and unprofessional 15 minutes after a fight with a guy that's tried to kill him and called him every name he can think of in six different languages i don't care mm-hmm it, that was justified. It was part of the day. We're all human. Get over it. All right. Anyway. And I wonder, too, just on those interactions where people are kidding with one another and there is a, a, a relationship where that's OK, if the, how that gets uh, how that comes across, if it's sort of, you know, guys making fun of, of one another. Just so, to... so your spouse comes to visit you at work. <laughs> 
and she's having a really bad day or he's having a really bad day and you exchange words and your body cameras on is that held <laughs> against you even though it's not work it's marital 100% with you on to our, our next story and um i i this is um out of uh, portland oregon and i i really like this um a story about a veteran police officer who talked about um really putting his um his training and his instinct um to use to help apprehend um a, a hospital gunman last month um it, it this was a case um let me make sure i get it Portland uh, Police Sergeant Michael Filbert, uh, he talks about um, an incident uh, July 26th um, <clears throat> where a uh, gunman shot a security officer at, uh, at the maternity ward of a hospital. And uh, in this comment, he says, uh, basically, we were the only cops in the city that weren't looking for this guy. Well, even though he wasn't um, formally on the case, he was on the case because um, he, for whatever reason, he decided to um, look up the address of the suspected gunman and do some detective work on his his own. Um, it ended up being good detective work because it led police to the man. Um, and what I found really interesting about this story was um, hearing him talk about it and hearing about him sort of questioning, you know, I didn't get a quite a, that good look at him. Is this the guy? Should I call this in yet? Um, it, it was just, um, I thought, a wonderful look inside the thought process of of what it, what that's like. Um, you know, have is spotting a possible suspect when to um, decide to to call it in. How much more um, information do I need to gather? Um, but but really good work um, by by Sergeant Philbert. You know, earlier you mentioned how everything in context really matters, and, and mm -hmm. it really does. And and I compliment Sergeant Philbert. But um, I my my outlook, looking back on my career and thinking about him as a sergeant. I'm thinking, number one, what he did, I don't know if I would call it detective work. It's sensible police work. We got uh -huh. a guy we're looking for. He's got three previous addresses. Let me go cruise by the addresses. I mean, you know, if if I'm not on a fixed patrol schedule or area and I can go do that, then that only makes sense. And then he interprets everything he sees through his training and his experience. And what we're calling instinct is his brain going, hey, you've seen this. You've experienced this. You know how suspects behave. You know this is what he would do. You know this is probably what's what. So even though you're not sure, you're 95% sure. The 5% unsure is, do I really want to call other officers who are looking for this guy and say, hey, I think I found him? Because if I'm wrong, it's going to be embarrassing as all get out. Mm -hmm. But if I'm right, we just made a great arrest based on my hunch. And we call hunches, we call them instinct. Uh, it's because it's something that happens in our brain subconsciously that we can't consciously articulate. Uh, but it's real and it's there. And that's why we train. That's why we do force on force training. That's why we do repeated scenarios through the academy and in service. So our brain can see situations and be able to reference them when they're applicable down the road when we didn't even know we were going to need it. But congratulations to the sergeant. Great job. 
uh, you know, finding the guy and, and getting the arrest made. Um, and, and then to some extent, he turns around, and he's very humble. And he says, hey, it was just a hunch. I was really not sure of myself. I'm glad it worked out the right way. And, and you know, um, what I was always told, too, is you're t- talking about instinct, too. It's that is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is 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 that, yes, you you, you know what? You did your training and, and you learned it and you know these these facts or whatever. Wisdom is how you're able to apply that and how you're able to how you'd basically see how that knowledge um, plays out in the wild over however many years um, you've been doing your job. And, um, uh, you know, being an older gentleman, I I like to think that that uh, that Sergeant Filbert, that this is um, wisdom here and. you know, that that's where his, his instinct is coming through. Somebody once asked me, how do you define wisdom? And and I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. And my answer was that wisdom is knowledge filtered through experience. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong, but I think that's just what you said. You just said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On to uh, uh, hey Joe, oh, we're, we're yes. going to run out of time, so I know we sure. have two more things we want to talk oh. about. But I really want to talk about this idiot in Baltimore. <laughs> okay, let's let's jump to our our last story here. This is out of uh, Baltimore County, um, where a um, a chase um, with a, uh, a stolen car had a, a, a conscientious uh, um, thief in mind. Here, he. Uh, during the chase, uh, make sure that he stops to get gas for his vehicle just so, you know, he can keep things going. Um, this was caught uh, by a, a TV news uh, helicopter um, in the area. And you see the guy go to the pump and uh, what appears to be filling his, his car up. Yeah, well, I mean... I guess we should say he was an intelligent criminal because he was smart enough to realize that that needle down there next to the E meant he wasn't going to be able to run very far. And he apparently had enough of a lead that he could jump out and put some gas in this thing. You think about the amount of time. I mean, I don't know how it is where you live, where I live. I'm not getting to drop out till I've swiped the credit card or gone in and paid cash. So he had to have enough time. That, that he manages to put gas in it, but then he drives away without taking the pump out of, out of his tank. <laughs> so now we're chasing a, a car that he had hit a bus. So he's got all this front end damage that's dragging a gas hose that can't have very much gas in it. it it's inevitable. He's going to get caught, but don't, don't, don't underestimate him. When the car did run out of gas, he jumped out and ran away. He wasn't going to run out of gas, but I'm glad the police officers caught him. Apparently, they recovered a gun on the guy, so I'm glad they didn't go violent. Um, yeah, uh, not the sharpest tool in the shed, in my opinion. Watch that. Uh, need to watch more NASCAR. Learn how to do those uh, those pit <laughs> stops quick and, and not uh, have the gas tank go out with you. That's it. He needs a pit crew, so he can just pull in. They can do everything, and he can pull out in a hurry. I, 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 I sense a side business there. Um well, that it will be all for this week. Um, we had a jam-packed uh, episode. Thank you very much uh, for listening. And by all means, um, stay safe and also stay cool while you're out there.
yeah, definitely stay cool. And I guess now at this point, especially in Baltimore, watch out for the pit crews. You, they should be in <laughs> uniform with big gas cans and spare tires. Oh, those, those are great. Thank you, Joe. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.